This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. This episode is brought to you by Rosetta Stone, the all-in-one language app. With Rosetta Stone, you'll have everything you need to learn a language and use it in the real world. They offer immersive lessons, writing prompts, and engaging activities to prepare you for real-life conversations. You can pick and choose the lessons that work best for you and create a personalized experience that's both fun and engaging. Get ready for life's adventures with 50% off for I Know Dino listeners at rosettastone.com dino. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the, the Big, Big Dinosaur, Dinosaur Podcast. Podcast, where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we'll be talking about Ceratosaurus, and we have a review of Dinosaur National Monument, since it's the 100-year anniversary. Before we get started, I just want to mention I'm getting some oral surgery done, so I sound a little bit funny, I know. And because it's going to take a little bit time for Garrett to recover, we have recorded a little bit earlier this episode and the next two episodes so that we don't miss any weeks in between. And since we're at the beginning of the month, thank you to all our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate your support, and we have recently posted a special post just for you. So check it out at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash I Know Dino. All right. So like I mentioned, it's Dinosaur National Monument's 100th anniversary. And if you're not familiar with Dinosaur National Monument, it's a large park in the United States that has some really interesting dinosaur features. So dinosaur bone beds were first discovered there in 1909 by Earl Douglas. But the actual National Monument was founded on October 4th, 1915 by President Woodrow Wilson or 100 years ago, if you're counting. Originally, it only had 80 acres and included an area in northeast Utah to, quote, protect an extraordinary deposit of dinosaurian and other reptilian remains of the Jurassic period. In 1938, the area was expanded to 210,000 acres to include a lot more of Utah and also quite a bit of Colorado. The monument is now mostly in Colorado, Although the visitor center with all the dinosaur goodness is actually in Utah. And that's where most of the dinosaur fossils are on display. And we've been there. It's really a great place to go. And you can actually touch some of the fossils. Yeah. So there's a couple places you can go there. There's the Canyon Visitor Center, which is open from late spring through early fall. And it's located just off U.S. Highway 40 and two miles east of a city called Dinosaur, Colorado. And they actually renamed the town that fairly recently to try to get some tourism. But that's not the main visitor center. So, like I said, that's in Colorado. And that's kind of the entrance to the main part of the park, but not to the actual dinosaur part. It's kind of near the middle of the park. The main visitor center, for dinosaur enthusiasts at least, is located in Utah. And up from the visitor center is the dinosaur quarry, which has over 1,500 fossils in a cliff face, which is enclosed by the exhibit hall. And it's kind of like if they constructed a building and they just left one of the walls as a cliff face. So it's a really neat way to structure the building. It's about a half a mile trip from the visitor center up to the exhibit hall. And in the summer, there's a shuttle that can take you up there. And then 
there's a quote-unquote car caravan the rest of the year. Or you can just walk up, which is what we did. And that's a pretty nice way to go because there's lots of nice trails and it's a park and all that. If you go to their website, they're very specific that the address you want to use to get to the visitor center is 11625 East 1500 South Jensen, Utah 84035. And that's because if you put in Dinosaur National Monument, it will probably take you to the visitor center that's in Colorado instead. It's about a five-hour drive from Denver or a three-hour drive from Salt Lake City. And you're going to have to drive to get there because there aren't really any other major cities nearby. And there's definitely no trains or bus routes that really go there. Since it's up in the mountains, the elevation of most of the park is about one mile high. So it's kind of like Denver that way where it's pretty high elevation. And the park has two rivers running through it. There's the Green River and the Yampa River which are both beautiful, and they kind of combine partway through the park. It's really nice. If you enjoy camping, there are six campgrounds and about 120 sites, half on the Utah and half on the Colorado sides, and there are campgrounds located in all corners of the park, and naturally they're pretty much all by the rivers. The monument itself is open 24-7, but the visitor center is only open from about 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. In 1923, Earl Douglas, the paleontologist who established the dinosaur quarry, suggested that the government, quote, leave the bones and skeletons in relief and house them, end quote. And by relief, he means like a relief painting where things are sticking out from it. Douglas believed that doing so would create, quote, one of the most outstanding and instructive sites imaginable, end quote. And in order to get to his vision, they spent more than 30 years building the structure that I described, and I think he was definitely correct. It is really the most impressive way to see dinosaur skeletons and kind of what it looks like when you're taking them out of the ground. The quarry exhibit hall was built in 1957, and it's 150 feet long to match the quarry face, and in 2006 the building was actually deemed unsafe due to damage from being built on soil which expands while absorbing moisture. So it was just kind of an unstable foundation, and over time there were cracks growing in it. In October 2011, it reopened after adding large columns to anchor the building to bedrock much deeper in the ground than the problematic surface clay, and now it's safe again. Like I mentioned, it contains the wall of partially excavated fossils. It also has touch bones and dinosaur replicas all over the place. And one of the neat things is there's actually two levels, and you enter on the second level, which is kind of halfway up the face of the cliff with the dinosaur relief. And there are touch screens along it where you can interact with a digital version of the wall and kind of have it point out to you where different fossils are and which bones in the wall belong to which dinosaur, which is really neat. A few decades ago, there was a lot of controversy when the Colorado River Storage Project planned to build a dam at Echo Park in the middle of the monument. The Sierra Club and Wilderness Society led a national campaign to preserve the rivers, arguing that since it was a national monument, it should not be allowed. Eventually, Congress agreed, and they left the rivers in the monument intact. So we stayed in the nearby town of Vernal, Utah, which has a few dinosaur attractions of its own, but nothing compared to the National Monument. I just want to mention a couple of the dinosaurs that you can see on the wall. There's an Allosaurus, and there's also a pretty big piece of a Camarasaurus. I think that's kind of the highlight of the wall. Yeah, that one's the easiest to find. This big skull and neck. And we actually have a little replica of that one on our wall. We also bought an Allosaurus hand while we were there. (laughs) 
Yes, and apparently it's uncommon to buy one of those if you're not a teacher. Yeah, the guy assumed, oh, you guys must be teachers. And we were like, no, <laughs> just really like dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> and we also bought a lot of other stuff like posters and things. But anywho, there is some other nice stuff to do in the area besides just going to the visitor center, though, and the quarry exhibit hall. There's actually a very nice drive that you can take through the center of the park. And it starts at that Canyon Visitor Center that's in Colorado, near that dinosaur Colorado. Specifically, it goes up this road called Harper's Corner Road. And it's about 30 miles long. It takes about an hour and a half or two hours one way, depending on how many scenic stops you decide to take. And at the end of the road, there's a trail that goes to Harper's Corner. And that's a three-mile total trail, one and a half miles each way out and back. And it has an amazing view of the Green River. You can see the rivers along the drive. It kind of goes along some cliff faces. It's up high for most of the thing. And then there's lots of picnic areas along the road where we took a stop to eat our lunch. And it was really nice. And then along the trails in the summer, you can look out for fossils. And the Harper's Corner Trail specifically has some clam-like shells and crinoids, which are ancient relatives of starfish, since it was under an ancient sea. And other areas have rock carvings from people who lived there a long time ago. You can also go fishing or river rafting and boating in the summer. In the winter, there's actually still quite a bit to do there. You can go cross-country skiing. Snowmobiles are allowed in some areas, but some of the roads get closed, so it might be a little bit hard to get around. So it's free to enter the park, at least through the Harper's Corner Road. But if you're going to the Utah side, parking costs $10, and that's good for a whole week. An annual pass is $20. I don't think they get a whole lot of repeat visitors in the same year. And there's the interagency pass that's $80. And I guess a lot of federal parks accept that. So if you're going to like the Grand Canyon, some parks like that, take it. I think we've mentioned before, Dinosaur National Monument is definitely in our top five dinosaur museums or places to go. It's probably the coolest place to see dinosaurs kind of in the rock, although there aren't a ton of them on display like there are at the American Museum of Natural History. So it kind of leaves more up to the imagination and seeing the actual kind of place where the dinosaurs come from, and then you can actually see some of the dinosaurs partially excavated is what I like so much about it. There's only two weeks left to sign up for one of the coolest dinosaur dig programs we've ever heard of. It's a two-week, actually 16-day, field program in the American West put together by this week's sponsor, the Colorado Northwestern Community College, CNCC. If you've been listening to our show, you know that we're big fans of their dig programs, and it's no surprise that their first program only has three spaces left. That's not many spaces. No, and it's possibly less by the time you're hearing this. If you want to join the July 6th to July 20th dig, then make sure you sign up right now. That's the one with three spaces left. Yes. There are a few more spots left on the second dig, too, on July 22nd to August 5th. But it's also a good idea to sign up now before space runs out there. When you get to the field, you'll be taught by expert paleontologists from CNCC and experience a once-in-a-lifetime adventure. So go to cncc.edu slash dinodig, you'll get all the details, and make sure you register online by May 31st, or preferably sooner. Again, that's cncc.edu slash dinodig. This episode is brought to you by Rosetta Stone. 
Sabrina and I love to find the best dinosaur museums around the world, and that requires a fair amount of traveling. A lot of times, those museums are off the beaten path. One of the most challenging museums to get to was the Mifune Dinosaur Museum in Kumamoto, Japan. The only way to get there is either by taxi or bus, and we very nearly got stranded because we couldn't read the bus schedule and there weren't taxis available, so it got a little bit dicey. Yes, we would have been in much better shape if we'd studied just a little more Japanese before that trip. Fortunately, we eventually managed to find our way thanks to some very kind and helpful people who work at the museum. A few more phrases, though, would have made a big difference for us, so we highly recommend preparing for your next big trip by signing up for Rosetta Stone at rosettastone.com dino. For a limited time, just for our listeners, you'll get over 50% off for a lifetime membership of all 25 of their language courses. The lifetime membership for all 25 courses is just $179, and normally that's $399, so it's a great deal. Again, that's rosettastone.com dino. And now for our dinosaur of the day, Ceratosaurus. Ceratosaurus name means horned lizard, and it lived in the late Jurassic. Fossils have been found in North America and Portugal and Tanzania. Charles Marsh described the type species in 1884, and Charles Gilmore re-described the species in 1920. The type species is Ceratosaurus nasicornis, but other species include Ceratosaurus magnicornis, which was named in 2000, and Ceratosaurus dentisculcatus, which was also named in 2000. Ceratosaurus magnicornis has a rounder horn, though it is very similar to Ceratosaurus nasicornis. But Ceratosaurus dentisulcatus is larger, more than 7 meters, with an unknown horn shape. And this type may have been even twice as big as Ceratosaurus nasicornis. The fossils found in Portugal have been attributed to Ceratosaurus dentisulcatus. Paleontologists have debated over the validity of these species, saying that the differences may just be individuals or differences that come with age. But the type specimen of Ceratosaurus was 18 feet or 5.5 meters long, though it may not have been fully grown. Its maximum length may have been 20 feet or 6.1 meters long, based on a specimen found in the mid-1960s, and this is based on proportions of the holotype. The type specimen had two left metatarsals fused together, which may mean that it had a healed fracture. And Ceratosaurus weighed about a half to one ton or 500 kilograms to one ton. Though some sources have said that it may have weighed up to two tons. So lots of debate. But Ceratosaurus was very bird-like. It had large jaws, blade-like teeth, a blade-like horn on its snout, and hornlets over its eyes, which is similar to Allosaurus. But one unique feature is that it had a row of osteoderms on the middle of its back. And it's unclear why it had these osteoderms on its back. This could have been defense against larger predators or even against rivals within the species. Ceratosaurus had short, powerful forelimbs, and these arms had four-fingered hands and sharp claws. It had a large skull in proportion to its body, it was bipedal, and it had an S-shaped neck with a large tail, and it was heavy-boned. It had good eyesight, and it had a nasal horn, which is an extension of the nasal bones on its snout. This is a fusion of two growths from separate bones. In juveniles, you can see beginnings of the horn from two bones that are not fused, so this fusion may have indicated reproductive maturity. Charles Marsh thought that Ceratosaurus's nasal horn was a powerful weapon, and so did Charles Gilmore. But nowadays, scientists think that the horn was used for combat among male Ceratosaurs, 
instead of as an offensive and defensive weapon against other species, and that this combat was for breeding rights, though other scientists think that it was used just for display and may have been brightly colored. Ceratosaurus lived alongside Allosaurus, Torvosaurus, Apatosaurus, Diplodocus, Stegosaurus, and Camarasaurus. It was smaller than Allosaurus and Torvosaurus, and it probably ate some different foods from them, so it was filling a different niche. It actually may have been more of a swimmer than the other two carnivores. It had a longer, flexible body with a tail shaped like a crocodile's, so that means it was probably a better swimmer than at least Allosaurus. Marsh theorized that Ceratosaurus was a good swimmer based on its long, thin tail. Robert Bakker suggested that Ceratosaurus went after aquatic prey, like fish and crocodiles, though they may have also eaten large dinosaurs as a scavenger. He found in his study that adults and juveniles sometimes ate together, which is interesting. So Ceratosaurus may have hunted in groups, and if they did hunt, they may have competed with Allosaurus for stegosaurs or sauropods or iguanodonts, but again, they might also have been more of an aquatic eater. They had long teeth. When their mouth was closed, the teeth could extend below the lower jaw. And they had a jaw that could slice instead of crush bone, which is another indication that it filled a different niche from other carnivores in the area. Ceratosaurus fossils are less common than Allosaurus, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was a more rare dinosaur. But to give an example, in one quarry where there were bones belonging to at least 44 individuals, there was only one Ceratosaurus individual. Ceratosaurus has been in a few films, for example, D.W. Griffith's Brute Force from 1914, which was the first live-action film featuring dinosaurs, also the Rite of Spring segment in Fantasia in 1940, The Animal World in 1956, where a Ceratosaurus fights and kills a Stegosaurus, but then another Ceratosaurus attacks to steal the meal and both end up falling off a cliff. It was also in the remake One Million Years B.C., where a Ceratosaurus fights a Triceratops, and it's also seen in The Land That Time Forgot in 1975, as well as the sequel, The People That Time Forgot in 1977. And it's also in Jurassic Park 3. And the TV documentary When Dinosaurs Roamed America, as well as episodes of Jurassic Fight Club, and it's portrayed as a rival to Allosaurus. You can see Ceratosaurus at the Natural History Museum of Utah, the Cleveland Lloyd Dinosaur Quarry, and Dinosaur National Monument. Ceratosaurus is related to Ablosaurus, such as Carnotosaurus, and previously Ceratosaurus and Ablosaurus, as well as primitive Coelophysoids, were grouped together as Ceratosauria, which were theropods closer to Ceratosaurus than to Aves, but more recent evidence shows large distinctions between later Ceratosaurs and earlier forms. Ceratosaurus is the type genus of the family Ceratosauridae, and Ceratosaurids lived in the Jurassic and Cretaceous. Charles Marsh named the family Ceratosauridae in 1884, Ceratosaurus competed with other larger predators, and there are two types of ceratosaur teeth, one with longitudinal ridges and one with smooth enamel. And our fun fact of the day is there are 10 types of dinosaurs that have been discovered in Dinosaur National Monument. The first is Ceratosaurus, which you should know a lot about now. Also Torvosaurus, Allosaurus, Apatosaurus, Borosaurus, Camarasaurus, Diplodocus, Haplocanthosaurus, Stegosaurus, Eutodon, and Dryosaurus. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. If you get a chance, please check out our Patreon page, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash I Know Dino, where we give out various rewards in return for your support. Thanks for listening, and until next time. Good day.